0: I was going to do a triplex around the, the uh, Western Sydney area and uh, I did all the numbers, stacked it all up and still didn't add up to make even much of a profit, maybe at least 2 or 3%. I'm like, that's not worth my time after eight, 18 months of work. This is the Think Big Property Podcast where young earns millions from property development and Tyrone, that's me, has millions of questions. In this episode, we're going to be cutting your learning curve in half by discussing some of the key things you need to know about becoming an area expert including budget, strategy and locality as well as sharing our amazing tips on everything from how to deal with agents to what you should look out for in your first investment property. Nguyen and I kick off the conversation by discussing the importance of having some kind of strategy to keep you on the right track when buying as an investor or as a developer.
1: When you're buying a property, it's a significant financial decision. You know, when you're spending $500,000, $800,000, once you've bought it, you know, if it needs to make money, it needs to work for you, it needs to fulfill what you're looking for. You can use a lot of these strategies whether you're buying an investment property um, or development site or even an occupier property. So don't think that just because you're buying a house to live in, you can't get a good deal. I I think that's a very good way to think about it is if you can buy your next property you're living in and get a 50, 100 grand under market value, um, that's very important as well. But the questions are like, how do you determine those suburbs? How do you determine uh, the market value? How do you determine what to offer? How do you find the deals? Because generally, I don't know about you there, Tyrone, but when I was starting out, I was 21 and um, yeah, all you do is look in newspapers uh, back in the day as well as in realestate.com or online and that was probably m- more emerging back in 2000 when I was getting into the property game. I was just looking at retail sources. So uh, what was your initial experience with um, buying your first deal? So there Tyrone, was it realestate.com or newspapers or?
0: Even today, we still use realestate.com.au to be able to search for property You know, for both rentals and for buying. And I remember that first deal because and I'll actually paint, a, I paint the picture before. <laughs> this was our first principal place of residence. My wife and I initially when we were uni students, we were actually a bit um, I guess cash strapped and I was working from home running a, a small little business as well selling uh, I guess rowing equipment as, uh, online. And we were sharing a combination actually with 3 other tenants in this big house. And uh, it got to a point where my wife was saying to me, uh, or my then girlfriend back then, now wife, uh, saying to me, "This is getting a little bit too tight for all of us." So there was five of us living there, even though we all got along very, very well. And we said, "Look, we, we really need the place for ourselves." And we had lived out initially um, during that period of time in our own place for a while know, a, a one-bedroom unit and then we decided to move back into shared accommodation because we are just deciding what to do next which I think was sort of the, the conversation was to probably look around the market to purchase a property. So that first experience when I was um, when looking, we actually looked online via realestate.com, put our criterion, we are just able to afford I think we started off with initially two-bedroom or three-bedroom unit that we could afford to buy in the area and then um, yeah, eventually we purchased a townhouse because this townhouse was something we just kind of, I guess you could say, emotionally fell in love, and that was the big mistake we made. not Not saying that it was, not saying that it was a mistake, because interestingly enough, um, when we purchased that property and I used RP data, it was actually market value. So we we were very fortunate, and I think maybe the reason why that particular property was being sold was because there was a motivated vendor and they were happy to sell it at that particular price, um, not knowing that they were motivated to sell, and it had all the conditions that we wanted. You know, big. Living space, three bedroom, two bathroom, double garage, all that kind of stuff was all ticking our boxes. Because eventually, the reason why we purchased that was for our kids at the end of the day. You know, when we had two kids, which we do now, um, this would be the ideal spot so we wouldn't have to move. But obviously, life changes and circumstances changes and you need something else so we no longer live in that particular property and we've rented out as an investment property but that's initially how we first started finding that one and I think doing that realestate.com.au was initial searches to actually find the property but you actually have to get out to have a look at the properties because if you don't see them and just look at it online, you can't really get a feel of how they look like and because we probably shopped for about I think four or five months to actually find the property that we eventually bought at the end of the day, it it actually gave us a good insight and you get to know who are the good agents, you get to know who are the not so good agents like there'd be some who start playing the game with you and I, I knew this from the beginning like this lady who we actually put an offer down initially for this two-bedroom unit that we really, really liked and it suited our needs and wants. Um, initially, came down at I think from memory, offered three- Eighty For it, or something like that, or 380,000. And initially, it was got accepted by verbally by the agent and the vendor. And then, literally, within I think a few hours the next day, because we hadn't actually signed the contract, she came back and said, Look, there's another offer on the table at 420. And because we we're buying in a seller's market, prices move so quickly. And I said, oh, Gosh, 30,000, they're just playing this game. In the end, we didn't go with her, obviously, because she just you know, said something that kind of ticked us off. And then, in the end, yeah, she obviously sold it to someone with a higher offer and the vendor obviously took that but yeah, we started again played by the agent and you start to learn these tactics that they do because they just want you to sort of have a silent bid in the background and the reason why I know that is because as an agent back then from experience, that's what agents used to do as well and I didn't like that game unfortunately but you know, you learn these things along the way as a buyer as well. So what's been your experience?
1: Well, when I bought my first property, this was in early 2000, I think 2001, um, definitely the newspaper was one of the uh, main ways as well as uh, looking online, realestate.com It wasn't as prevalent as it, was, as it is now, um, you know, newspapers every Saturday, you open up what was the uh, courier Mail, and there'd be a couple of sections in there, uh, which were ads being advertised, um, properties being advertised there. I think the other thing that was quite common for me was just going from office to office to office. So in any particular suburb, you might have you know two or three agencies on a strip, um, and, and then within an hour, you know, or two hours, you just go from one agency window to another to another, and then you know, inquire and build the relationships that way and sometimes yeah i know that we're all often uh, focusing online and we don't want to get off our backside sometimes but i think that can still be a very very important way to build relationships and we'll talk about that a little bit later but i think yeah move zooming uh, out a, a little bit as well is, is looking at the key things uh, like you know how do you determine where do you focus um mm. you know what, what suburbs and how do you determine that suburb because um, I think a big part of what I talk about in my courses is about becoming an area expert, an area expert. Like how do you know if something's worth three eighty, four twenty, seven fifty? What what's it really worth and what's the market willing to pay right now? So I think um, if it's all right with you there, Tyrone, we'll segue into, you know, some of the key things to consider when becoming an area expert. Is that all right?
0: For sure, for sure. Let's jump into that because I think that's the interesting thing because I think people subconsciously don't realize while they're actually looking for property whether it be for their own home or looking for investment property they're actually getting a feel of the market. Like I just remember when I was looking at that first property in around the area like I'll tell you where it is sort of in the Hills area district we looked at so many different properties and after a while you go okay you kind of go okay that unit we think's worth 250 or that unit might be worth 300,000 and you, you kind of subconsciously go, oh, you know, I'm willing to pay maximum 300 because that's what I've seen in the market um, and you build that knowledge. And I remember as a real estate agent, we were encouraged as an agent to get to know specific areas and I became one of the area experts in units around the North Ryde Macquarie Park area which is sort of also on the north di- northern districts of Sydney. And back then when the units were selling for... 320, 350 max for selling for 360 because we're in the sellers market. I was going, go, wow, you know, I got the high sell price because I sold one at the high sell price, and I was like, that's fantastic, you know, to be able to get 360. Now those properties are worth in the vicinity between 800 to 900 thousand, and I was like, going, wow, you know, so much has changed in that period of time. But becoming an area expert, knowing what the properties are, knowing what's inside, what's the differences between a two-bedroom, a three-bedroom, how does an extra garage impact it? You know, if an extra bathroom or there's extra like you know kitchenette that's been added, those are the things that will impact the price. And knowing exactly you know how that makes a change because as an investor or as a developer, if you're going into to say do a, a buy, reno And sell kind of property, and you think, okay, I'm gonna buy a two-bedroom house, and I know there's a potential to split the living room into a third bedroom. How much does that add on to the property itself? It could be 20, 30, 50, 60k, depending on the area. So these are the things that I think subconsciously, as just a, a buy back then, looking for my first principal place of residence, you kind of pick these things up, but when you actually realize Uh, consciously that you are doing that as an investor, that really, really helps to become an area expert and I think that really hits that on the head when you talk about becoming an area expert, it's so important to do that.
1: For sure, for sure. And yeah, so generally, when I talk to clients about becoming an area expert, I suggest some of the things that they focus on is firstly, uh, budget. You know, If, if you're looking to uh, buy at a certain price point, you probably need to get pre-approved by your finance broker on what you can afford. Um, and I, I believe an affordability for yourself and for others because whether you're buying it to live in or buying it to an investment or buying it to rental and flip, you know, it needs to be affordable for other people as well because down the track, you might be selling it down the track so affordability is key and sometimes especially if the suburbs are quite expensive close to town you might have to go a little bit further half an hour an hour out of town depending on where you are Um, I think the second thing is strategy so what I mean by that is whether you're looking at buy reno holding buy reno selling whether you're looking at a block of land in the backyard to put a granny flat you're looking at building duplexes like um my uh, relatives in Sydney, they live in a place called Reevesby as well as Panania and Padstow there. So in Padstow, I remember rocking up to their place and a lot of old houses were getting knocked down to do duplexes. Yep. So, you know, I think that's the other thing is if you want to, choose uh, to to do certain deals is you need to know what zonings or or what opportunities there are in those areas i know you know clients have done granny flats let's say in places like blacktown where you can still get properties with a a reasonable backyard potentially on a corner block slope towards the street uh, in the right zoning as well so other ones like i mentioned before is the the reno so you're obviously not going to buy in a new area let's say in badgeries creek with you know blocks of land there with brand new houses on it if you're looking at um, doing renos, Um, whereas you might look at older areas like Ipswich in Queensland or in Logan where there's older houses where you can potentially renovate. So, I think budget is important. Secondly is uh, strategy. And then thirdly, uh, and I think this is important as well, is locality and proximity to where you live. So, I've done interstate stuff as well and I know you're working on that interstate uh, commercial property there. Um, Tyrone so it just a bit can be a bit difficult I Mm. prefer uh, within 45 minutes an hour of where I live I am doing an interstate project in Melbourne at the moment it is definitely proving challenging um, for me being uh, a couple of states away but uh, you know being Local, Um, if you do have a problem, you can go check it out. Uh, Luckily for me, my current land subdivision is in the same street that my dad lives in.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, So, it's like, hey, dad, can you check it out for me? Send some photos. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. Exactly it. So, he lives at number 30. The project is number 376, which is I think literally 2Ks. He goes out his gate, turns left, drives up through two roundabouts um, or so, or one roundabout and then the, uh, the next suburb over. He's literally there uh, on the same side of the street even and um, yeah, he takes a few photos, looks for a few things for me and reports back because yeah, oftentimes people will say they've done stuff and they have or they haven't and sometimes obviously, I just need someone who's uh, who I can trust. So anyway, in summary is um, budget, uh, strategy and uh, lo- locality and proximity.
0: I actually was going to talk a little bit more about locality and proximity and this is the thing that I think we all also understand. If you're doing and say maybe a buy and hold strategy, yeah, definitely you can actually invest across interstate quite easily if you've got a buyer's agent and you've got a good property manager, that can be maintained but as we're sort of talking about from a perspective of say maybe a development or potential renovation, then I think it would definitely make more sense unless you know the, the tradespeople and unless you know the teams in the different states, it would make more sense to be able to do it within a local proximity. The only issue I guess with that is affordability. Once again, it comes back down to people who live in Sydney and Melbourne have to spend quite a lot of money to be able to invest a property at least you know, anywhere in the facility of a million dollars or so and not many people usually can just have a million dollars of cash or million dollars of equity to be able to just draw out and do a development and that's the reason why they go interstate and potentially do joint ventures and I can tell you, just from experience, that's probably one of the reasons why I've gone up to Queensland to work with joint venture partners to do developments out there because they're a lot more affordable. You know, we can buy, buy a block of land, even with a house on it, for around that 450 half million dollar mark, and still be able to make a profit from that, based on you know the subdivision deal or whatever it is. And I guess that that really ties into all those two things because one, if you're going to do it, I guess. Um, remotely as, as it might be in another location, then you've got to find someone who can actually complement the skills. In my instance, you know, I, I bring in the money partners and the other person of the joint venture deal is the one who actually does the development and manages the trades, manages the whole project and ensures that it gets delivered on time and also works and deals with the agents to ensure that it gets delivered and sold, you know, to be able to return the profit back from it. So it's a, it's a key component I think that is important. If I could do something locally around here, I would because I'm, I'm, I'm quite hands-on and you know, in my role as a project manager in the full-time job that I am, I love getting involved in the project and helping and supporting and getting it delivered on time because that's what I, my strength points are but um, it, it's quite challenging to do that something like that in Sydney unless you're doing a larger project so yeah, we've, I've looked at so many deals like before I was going to do a triplex around the, the uh, Western Sydney area. And uh, I did all the numbers, stacked it all up and still didn't add up to make even much of a profit, maybe at least 2 or 3%. I'm like, that's not worth my time after 18 months of work. And I I, I asked the developers the same question, how do you guys make money from this? And they said, well, it's really more of a buy and hold strategy because once you've built it, you just got to rent it out. You really can't make a profit except wait for the market to go up. So, those are the things I think just need to be taken into consideration and it's great to be an air expert but you just got to also know where it is that you're going to choose and who you're going to work with as well too.
1: Yeah and sometimes it does take weeks and months you know if you're going out of state whether it's flying to Sydney or Melbourne or Newcastle or Hunter Valley, you definitely got to investigate what the market's doing because there's markets within markets. I know within the suburbs, some of the suburbs I'm in, there might be four quadrants or three quadrants or three segments that are quite different to each other based on locality to the shops, train station, uh, schools, main roads, uh, people's preferences, one side of the road to the other, uh, flooding. So I I think that's, one of the downsides with people in their investing is that they just don't take the time to get on the ground and walk the path. Um, I talk about you know driving for dollars, where you might get a map out, get a highlighter, and just drive around, do laps of the area to to study it for weeks and weeks and weeks, looking for change, looking for opportunity where people let's say might neglect their property, or a really little private for sale sign. I've I've had clients who've bought property privately because the owner was too stingy to get a real estate agent. Or you know, get a, even a big sign. They did a handwritten sign <laughs> you know, for sale. Call me. No kidding. No kidding. And my client's gone in, bought it, and made one hundred fifty thousand dollars on it. Right? Because the owner was just yeah too stingy and did a handwritten board in a really bad handwriting. And you know, no agents going to promote that because they're not going to get any commission on no. it. They're not interested, so no. they don't care. Um, so I think yeah, driving for dollars is another uh, tip there. Um, what about uh, going to open homes on, on weekends there, Tyrone? Um, have you done your time there?
0: Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I used to be an agent for many, many years and uh, I opened the homes, not necessarily you know, going to them. But I, I do remember very clearly, just to touch on that point about driving for dollars. Is as an agent back then, and also you know as a buy and investor, I used to drive around pretty much my areas every week. I used to pull out my map because back then I didn't have, <laughs> um, you know, a GPS on my phone like I used to like you know how easy it is now. You know, Google Maps wasn't that easily accessible, but it actually made more sense to actually have a printout of the map because you can actually pull out a highlighter and go, okay, oh, this street looks like a pretty good street where there's a lot of you know nice houses and so forth. And then you know, two streets down the road, it's a little bit run down. And you go, okay, you can't pick that up on the internet. You can't pick that up on a map. You have to actually physically see it. And then you realise, okay, there's probably proximity to train stations, which you can mark out. But then when you drive past, you realise, hold on, there's probably an issue with maybe getting over there to you know whatever. There's a blockage. Things like you know, laying out the the flooding zones, laying out heritage areas. There's, yes, you can find that out from council, but to actually drive past and have a look and to to go okay, what's the chance of that happening in that area and and seeing what the past history, you can only see that with your eyes and you know, I think it's just so, so crucial to be able to drive around and have a look because that kind of gives you a different perspective on the ground. Coming up after the break, we'll talk about the ideal strategy behind open homes. Every open home, we had a minimum of at least 20 groups coming through and it was like so competitive like literally as soon as people have watched, uh, looked at the property within about 10 minutes, the request for the contract, even some people rocked up with a check. We look at the importance of building relationships with agents. They're
1: like, yeah, you know, other people may offer high numbers like you talk about and outbid you but you know, if they feel like they want to do business with you, um, they're potentially going to give you first and give you first dibs at least so that you can have the first right of refusal
0: the most valuable skill you need to have in order to become a successful investor
1: we have to talk to somebody and say you know can i give you half a million dollars for your house it's once you're, you're not used to doing that right so but but here's the thing is if you're wanting to become a better investor and developer you need to, that's a skill that you need right
0: and that's next on the think big property podcast Young and I move on to the topic of open homes, which we know from personal experience can be intimidating for the first-time investors.
1: I think there's a lot of angles and importance to the open homes on the weekends. I think, like with anything, people think that uh, investing is just with money. Uh, A big part of it, you have to invest your time as well, uh, especially when you're starting out to look at the nuances and understand the specifications of different houses. Because, you know, as a beginner, when you look at a house, you don't take in everything. Like, I'll go in and I'll notice the uh, ceiling heights, um, the floor covering types, the size mm. of the tiles, the brands of the air conditioner, um, and I'm very, very detailed on those things. Why? Because I've been looking at property for 20 years, and my level of detail is a lot higher. Whereas when I was starting out, oh, it's three bed, it's two story, you know, how much is it rent for? You get the basics, which is important, but then you look at things that are problematic, like uh, the roof um, type.
0: Okay, is oh, yes. it going to
1: uh, be asbestos? <laughs> um, Yep. Is it asbestos? Uh, is the legal height underneath? the? Um, if you're going to be able to build in underneath, is there flooding, signs of flooding? What's the fence like? Um, what's the driveway conditions like? What's the traffic like? So, I think it's there's two parts to the open homes. There's definitely the physical part of the property, what they're asking, the materials like the bench tops, the size of the bathroom, the types of the... Um, yeah, even though the laminate versus stone bench tops, but uh, building a relationship with agents and showing that you are genuine. I know you're talking about the uh, seller's market or the buyer's market. Um, I know sometimes in Sydney, it always feels like a seller's market. <laughs> <laughs> true, <laughs> uh, true. But it's, uh, even in COVID, you know, um, there's less stock in the market. So, people go, oh, you know, I'm going to buy a house. So, um, but yeah, building a relationship with agents, putting your face in front of them and and. Getting information from them because it's not just about the property that they're listing at the moment. It's about upcoming listings um, that they've got down the track. Um, that because you want to build that relationship because people do business with people they like. That totally. people do business with people they like. Yeah, you know, other people may offer high numbers like you talk about and outbid you, but you know, if they feel like they want to do business with you, um, they're potentially going to give you first and give you first dibs at least so that you can have the first right of refusal.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think that's so, so important. Relationships are are the key in this game of property investing because at the end of the day, you want to build a team around you who you can trust and can actually um, work with each other because I think you know the people who actually get the best deals are the ones who have got the strongest relationships with those agents and it's proven time and time again even like I'm working with this joint venture partner in Queensland. He's constantly getting deals with all the agents but that doesn't happen overnight. He's been building that relationship for more than a year and you know now all the deals are coming through to him and he's just picking through them, doing his due diligence and seeing which one works. Because these agents know that he's an investor looking to buy more and more properties and coming through. One thing I do want to add as well too is looking at say property as well. Um, I guess what what I'm I was going to say if we're actually looking at the open homes and a inspection, depending on what you're planning to do, some of these properties can also have potential value they can add on to it. And I think that's one other thing I also look out for when I go in is to go. Okay, is it possible? To add an extra bedroom? Is it possible to do any renovations? Because there are some properties out there, depending on where you look, that have already had a full cosmetic renovation and they're selling at a premium. And you'd be wondering why you're looking at buying that. It may be because the block is so big that you can actually put an extra granny flat in the back, or you may be able to subdivide it so that way you can do something else. So just consider those as factors that need to be looked out for when doing open homes or inspections and so forth. But at the end of the day, I think you've just got to go through and just make sure that you look out for some of the, you know, have a checklist that important things that you need as to whatever strategy you're putting in place.
1: I look, I think I completely agree with you and I think that's definitely going to that next level. Uh, as a beginner, which most people are when they're buying houses, especially their first uh, own occupier place, I, I think it's just teaching people the fundamental habit mm. Um of going to open homes regularly uh, every Saturday, especially when you're ready to buy, you're looking at buying something in the next 60, 90 days, is do a habit, and it may dedicate, may require you dedicating every Saturday, one Saturday a week, every week for three to six months. And I'm not saying that flippantly; I'm saying that quite genuinely um, until you be, you master and become an expert. Because everybody wants to produce results so quickly. It's like going to the gym. I want to lose ten kilos, but <laughs> I only want to turn up, you know, half a time a week. Um, you know, when I'm asleep. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there's, there's not that way. Yep.
1: No, it doesn't work that way. And and so I've been in the game, like I said, doing deals for twenty years, and and my ability to become an error expert is a lot faster. But I still have to do the groundwork. Um, and, and yes, there are hints and tips and ways to get the information faster and absorb it faster. Um, however, you know, it's like with anything: the better you get at it, or the more you do it, the better you get at it, and the more deals that you do, the nuances you might go, "Oh, you know what? I made that mistake. I paid too much. I missed this bit. You know that the property value was actually five, um, five to ten, twenty thousand dollars cheaper um, for various reasons, and you may have missed those signs until, oftentimes, until you have a property on the market itself. Uh, for selling then you sometimes won't realize how close you are or not to the market value.
0: Yeah, that's very true, very true. Well, let's talk about some of the other potential ways to find deals. I know we we sort of touched on one of your clients who mentioned that they purchased a property from a guy who just put a handwritten sign at the front. Uh, That's basically sounding like approaching owners directly. How have you been able to find deals through doing that kind of method?
1: Yeah, so look, there's multiple ways to get uh, deals directly from owners and some people I think they li- think a little bit too literally. What I mean by that is property like is like any business, you've you got to have multiple ways of getting opportunities to come to you just like people have, uh, have multiple ways of getting clients and customers to come to their shop You know, uh, whether it's advertising on TV, advertising on radio, um, brochures in the mail, online marketing with um, property and getting deals to come to you, you pe- people need to think exactly the same way, exactly the same way i.e. how? what are the multiple ways of getting deals to come to you and, and then there's really 2 um, avenues. One is through agents who've listed the property and then there's a property owners directly. So I think, um, yeah, it's a very much a part of a wholesome strategy and a um, universal strategy, holistic strategy, not just a focus only on owners directly. Because I think if you just um, uh, discriminate against real estate agents, it's going to, yeah, you're not being able to get all the opportunities come to you in the best manners. So anyway, um, just to kind of give you a context, there is the main way to get deals from owners are from letters or door knocking or flyers. I found the most effective one for me personally have been the letters. Uh, some people they use PriceFinder. Uh, price finder, some people use uh, RP data. Uh, we like to yeah, send owners letters. Otherwise door knocking is really powerful as well. Uh, I don't personally like to do it myself but get other people to do it. You might hire them, you know, good old um, air tasker to get people to go and door knock and talk to potential owners. Sometimes there's tenants there but you know, it's just getting out there and doing things differently because that's how agents generally get get listings mm. is through letters and door knocking. So if you're doing the similar things that they're doing, essentially you're getting at the coalface. Um, like some of the letters I've re- uh, received uh, phone calls from owners whereby they, um, Deceased Estate was an example where it was a thousand square meters on a corner and all I wanted was the opportunity to get the deal before it got listed with a real estate agent. Mm. And even though I didn't pay a hugely discounted price, they were definitely committed to sell and I got a price less that um, would be with an agent. So, albeit I only saved, let's say 3%, but I got access to the deal. Whereas I know if I hit the market, one, um, the deal wouldn't have been feasible. I would have paid too much. And two, I would probably missed out on it because it was such a good deal, corner block, retained the existing house and I cut off uh, four blocks off it. So 1,062, wow. two into five, right? So <laughs> that was off off a letter. And sometimes it takes 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 letters to get a deal but the, the thing about that is sometimes it takes 6, 12, 24 months for people to finally get ready to sell and respond to your letter. So mm. um, I think that's very a big thing that people think in this world of instant gratification. You know, you, you go to um, an app on your phone, press a button, 10 minutes later you got food at your front door. <laughs> property, <laughs> property is not that whatsoever. It, it is completely different. Um, it's about relationships and, and you can't force people to transact or, or sell to you, so um, yeah, door knocking, letters, flyers. I know flyers work in certain areas a, a lot better than other areas, just simply because of lack of marketing or too much marketing, depending on the area.
0: True. So, just curious about the letters. How frequently and how often? I guess how you how are you sending these letters out? Because you're saying you know it can take up to thousand, five thousand letters sending you out. But like say in an area, because I used to do this, I used to do a letter drop of about three hundred letters per fortnight or so and I was getting, you know, some responses but I'm just curious from your point of view like how many letters would you be dropping and, you know, all that kind of stuff, how frequently too?
1: This just depends if you are in the market or not in the market but at this point in time, we're about to gear up and do a lot more marketing to owners as well as agents. Uh, we've stopped it for a short while just to finish off some projects but mm. in the prime, you'd be looking at somewhere between 50 and 100 uh, letters a week, 50-100 letters a week and you might get a 3 to 5% response depending on the area, how hard it's been worked over what the market's like. So, we did find uh, generally, let's say during COVID, that the responses were down. Uh, just people were, weren't really decisive about what was going on. But once COVID was pretty much over or we started easing restrictions, the responses started to increase dramatically because people who were waiting, waiting, waiting um, for things to move on and get on with things, they started to pick up the phone. So, yeah, so my point is that yeah, 50 to 100 a week is a good uh, number there. It's healthy. It's, you don't, won't get overwhelmed with too many phone calls and it allows you to cover areas thoroughly enough because if you're th- sending out, let's say, 1,000 letters and you're in 10 different suburbs, you're just too much of a scattergun yeah, approach. Yeah. Um, and um, So what, what about your, your experience with dealing with owners directly as an agent? Um, I know obviously in one instance, but uh, have you done any direct marketing there at all, Tyrone?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean as an agent, as one of the requirements that they said to us, we had to send out letters out to a specific area. So as I said to you, I was focusing on on units. So we would not do a letterbox drop unit to to a bunch of units in the area saying that, you know, we've recently sold XYZ property because that seems to always work. It's like once you've sold something, the neighbor might be interested in selling, you know, maybe the person down the road might be interested in selling because it just goes to show that there's been a successful and it's really funny. It's just human psychology. Once someone does something, they want to do the same thing. It's like going to a restaurant. You, you always, you know, and from my experience, I've noticed that when the restaurant's empty and there's not many people, you go, "Hmm, this restaurant doesn't look too good." But then, when the, you see a restaurant that's got lines crowded outside, you go, "Wow, that looks like a good restaurant. I gotta try it next time, or I might just join the queue because I'm interested in, you know, what food they're offering." It's no different to buying property or selling property. If a vendor sees that this person sold their property and got a pretty good price and they're like, "Mm, I'm actually in two minds, I might be looking to have a sea change or you know, maybe something in my life has changed, they'd be interested in actually reaching out to that particular agent to sell and once you become an area expert and people recognize your face, then they'll keep that in mind and within that period of time, whether it be a year or two or three, they'll come back to you. And that's what was really funny because when I actually went door knocking a few times and I walked into the house or unit of a, a potential vendor, they actually had a picture of me <laughs> with my big face on an A4 piece of paper <laughs> and I go, yeah, that's me and they, they picked that up about 6 months beforehand because I, I changed the marketing before and that's why I remember it was just quite funny that I saw, oh, okay, you definitely saw that Yeah, <laughs> 6 months beforehand. <laughs> Uh, so that, that method definitely does work. It just takes a bit of time and I think it comes back down to patience and knowing you know how to actually don't regularly and consistently. And when you think about it, even now we've got a, a access to the internet and having things really, really at a fast pace, it's kind of no different because when you're marketing say for example, this podcast or marketing your business online, the more frequent and the more occasional you do that and getting your brand and your face out there, people remember they'll end up eventually coming back to you if they resonate with you. So, it, it's no different to, I guess, owners and vendors, it's just building that regular frequency and also then building that relationship with them.
1: For sure. Look, I absolutely have to agree. I think that um, those ideas definitely work. The frequency is important and when they're ready, they'll be ready and just a simple matter of the fact is um, there is going to be competition out there. Other mm-hmm. people will be doing letters. Um, as an investor sending that letter, you do have a advantage that um, yeah you're not you're not an agent in that way that some people discriminate. They don't want to talk to an agent. They don't want to pay the commissions. So, and, and that's the advantage that you do have dealing with them directly. I think a skill that people need to develop over time is how to talk to strangers because it's not common conversation we have to talk to somebody and say, you know, can I give you half a million dollars for your house? It's <laughs> once you're, you're not used to doing that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but but here's the thing: is if you're wanting to become a better investor and developer, you need to. That's a skill that you need, right? Totally. Um, just like a, an engineer needs to have certain skills, a town planner has certain skills, a, a painter has certain skills, a property developer or an investor needs to know how to talk to owners um, because that can save you a minimum three 3%, 3%, even if you're just paying full retail and you don't pay the agents' com, you save yourself 3%. With 500K property, that's $15,000. Totally. 800,000 property, that's 24 grand. So just waking up talking to somebody is a skill you're saving between 15 and 24K as an example, you're ahead of the game on the other side. uh, When you're flipping it or or renovating it, that, that all adds to the bottom line.
0: Coming up on the next episode of the Think Big Property Podcast, Nyong and I discuss our personal experience with agents
1: and sometimes with any industry, there's good ones, there's bad ones, um, sometimes they'll tell you the truth, sometimes they'll lie completely through their teeth just to one, get the deal across the line or two, um, get you to pay a higher price.
0: We give you tips and insights on how to conduct quality market research,
1: printing out those comparable sales and doing the groundwork, I cannot stress that enough, It's doing the groundwork. Um, to see, okay, that house sold for 750000 or that one sold for $570,000 and, and comparing, okay, these four houses in four different streets, why? Are they different?
0: Nung's advice on approaching developers and what not to do.
1: So, I think yeah, developers at times, especially with the market's quiet or the market's yeah, not not so crowded. There's definitely times where they have to offload stock just to clear up some debt, get some cash back, um, yeah, to be able to clean up or consolidate their portfolio. So, I definitely think you know, keeping those conversations open um, is definitely an opportunity as well.
0: And that's next time on the Think Big Property Podcast.